Silver Star, the third highest medal in the country. It doesn't mean anything. Bob Smeal died for these medals. Lieutenant Pomerol died so I got a medal. Sergeant John died so I got a medal. I got a Silver Star, Purple Heart, Army Commendation Medal, eight Air Medals, National Defense, and the rest of this garbage. It doesn't mean a thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, Nick Munez. Today on the show, we have Smedley Butler's War is a Racket. Old Gimlet Eye, the three-star general and one of 19 men in the history of United States Armed Combat to receive two medals of honor. You think after the first time he, he saved enough lives? Smedley goes back in for more. This guy has given orders as a three-star general and taken orders in the most remote corners of the world from drunk-ass generals in the late 1800s. Smedley knows both sides of the coin and how people are getting played in this racket of war. We're going to question today who profits from these international conflicts in which mothers send their sons away and majestically George Bush and Dick Cheney's Halliburton gang, their portfolios grow four times over. Who pays the bills for these wars? Is it coming out of our taxes? What do we know about that 1920s income tax deal, which was supposed to fund World War I, and then we never got rid of it? Old Gimlerai, Smedley Butler, is going to let us know how to smash this racket today. I've been reading some anthropological books, and it's talking all about the hunter-gatherer humans are not these warring chimpanzees that we think we are. We're more like bonobos. We like to eat a bunch of bananas and put our bananas in the banana chute. You know what I'm saying? We are not these crazy creatures that need to be fighting 24-7. One of the biggest misconceptions and most painful things of us not knowing our own species. We kill each other. This book, it was written between the two world wars from a man who has risked his life physically and then literally, literaturally, with this book. He was pushed to the far-out fringes of the political spectrum for putting this anti-war rhetoric out there. And we see Tulsi Gabbard was just pulling higher than every single other Democratic candidate, but she was the only anti-war candidate, so that cannot be kept in there because what was the anti-war side, CNN and the Democrats? That does not exist anymore. So now you got a podcast host recording from Griffith Park. I'm about to go see the best of you in the country as I sweat here yelling in a Jeep to give you an above-average show about smashing the racket of war. About the author, we got Smedley Butler, Major General Smedley Butler. He was born in July of 1881 and died in June of 1940. He was nicknamed Old Gimlet Eye. Not sure what that means. I almost worked for a podcast company called Gimlet. This is a much cooler name. <laughs> he is from Westchester, Pennsylvania, born from an upper middle class family, and he played football in college. He was a baseball kid growing up. They used to see back in this uh, late 1800s era, he was a college football player too. That was the war strategy game. The coaches were looked at as generals, and it's just like these World War I type of battles where you got to hold the line. They used to call a pass. Like, football was all running it. How boring of a game. You're like the New York Giants. You don't know how to pass the ball, Eli. A pass was called an aerial attack. Football taught Smedley these ways to control the Rough Riders. He was down in Central America controlling outlaw men who just wanted to kill for a living. He had a 34-year career in the military. That's quite impressive. He started with the Marines, our boy Smedley, fighting in World War One in the trenches, getting gangrene on his feet. <laughs> you gotta take the gangrene to eventually give the gangrene. And he was also in the Mexican Revolution as an enlisted man. Didn't even know that there was an American side in the Mexican Revolution. You know, we love to get our hands involved in any honeypot that is war around the country, around the world. During the Banana War period, this is getting more into the early 1900s, the periods of imperialism, which is, you know, England was still the big guy on the block then, and now everyone hates us. Gotta be hated to be the greatest. He went to the Philippines, China, Central America, and all around the Caribbean when he was imperializing those people. You guys need to go back and read the history of Hawaii and how we annexed the shit out of them, but I mean, look at how good they're tourism economy is now. You get that gust for that. 
old Gimlet Eye, he once saved a uh, drowning Chinaman. It was in the Boxer Rebellion, which I'm not going to pretend to know much about. He swam a guy across the Tianjin River. He was wounded in war and smedley swam him to safety pretty crazy like they don't give him a china medal of uh, honor for that but he also has 16 other medals for heroism and again one in 19 men ever to get two medals of honors like you think you come back after the first time you jumped on a grenade for a guy and was like wait that was my whole life i could have just lost it and then he went and jumped on another fucking grenade <laughs> this guy is truly a hero and he's writing he should get a medal of honor for writing a book like this i'm gonna start giving out pulitzer hearts or some shit like that you ever seen um that i just watched apocalypse now too so there's gonna be references throughout the show but there's that one scene with the crazy general who they make you think is the really unhinged one at first and there's a couple younger guys who are about to kill a vietnamese guy on the ground and he'd go, get out of there, get out of there. Any man who's brave enough to fight with his guts strewn out of his abdomen can drink from my canteen any day. This is Smedley Butler. He sees the valor on both sides of the war. He's not just looking at it as a nationalistic arm wrestling match. This is geopolitical movements. And he's seeing, if you fought like a true warrior, I'm not going to let you die no matter what side you're on. Call him a traitor, call him whatever you want. We are more enlightened because of this man. He crushed rebel groups in Honduras to clear the path for the Panama Canal. He was really paving the way for the later generations of the CIA. Like, this is when the OSS was getting started. Smedley knows it all, baby. In 1933, he tried to warn the media of the military-industrial complex's coup of overthrowing FDR. You see, uh similarities to today will draw into the show this is when he really started getting pushed to the fringe they were saying he's not um for remington and smith and weston producing more <laughs> ammunitions than we would ever need in multiple apocalypses that's money and if you're stopping the money you're not going to be part of the commercial apparatus anymore smedley was pushed onto the outskirts by 1935 which was when he released this book today war is a racket and then he toured around the country, veterans, pacifist groups, churches put him on speaking platforms because nobody else would. He was published all up and down Common Sense magazine to help promote this book. But it is a relic of the past, and it is more relevant than ever. We've been at war for 20 years. You already know this. So let's get into the weeds of it today. We got War is a Racket, Smedley Butler, five quick chapters, a shorter show. Chapter one, War is a racket. He starts us, war is a racket. It always has been, it always will be. From the first time we threw the tea in the harbor to the second and third time we try to invade Iraq. It is the oldest, most profitable, and most vicious type of racket. Up there with pimping people out, you know, sex slavery, sex trafficking, and all of these have made it into the modern age. And Smedley does admit, it is childish to think that we could go without war in our lifetimes but towards the end of the book you're gonna see he's just throwing a cry for help out there because if we continue on the trajectory that we are we are going to see a century of more democide there's a word for it people getting killed by their governments than we have ever seen he's saying only a small group of people truly know what war is about why it is waged and how to benefit from it his first point Obviously, the insiders are going to know where to put the money, how to trade that onto your kids. This is where dynasties of wealth come from, from war. There is only one new dynasty of wealth every single generation. Like, you look at the Trumps. He's setting up Trump Jr. You saw that guy just got banned from Twitter. You're a political figure. You can't get banned from a public platform. He is setting up. He knows how the wars work. He is getting his kids ready <laughs> because every generation there's one new dynasty of wealth and nine new international conflicts so the amount of people profiting to the amount of bloodshed that is happening is uneven it's unethical we are human beings we fight each other it's in our nature but when kings and bureaucracies control armies vast gigantic swaths of men the destruction is going to increase significantly so when we were in those foraging tribes i mean you would the protection mechanism for murder was trading tribes. People would go within these, like, you, you're very, 
the movement was the defense mechanism, but now you just got to fight each other because you got these two people who are on Twitter and can yell at each other. And it's been happening since the earlier days of kings. There's one monarchy that lives on the other side of the mountain, and our king is telling us they're growing all the crops on the land. They're ruining the soil. They're coming here at night and taking our fresh water. And both of the kings tell this to their people so that when they fight each other, they depopulate and there's more food for everyone. You see how it works? This has been happening in the Middle East. This is nothing new. We think we're going to go bring peace to the Middle East. Literally since the beginning of time, the Shahs of Iran have been fighting these oil wars where you can accumulate these generational amounts of wealth. Again, pass it forward. Nine new wars for one wealthy family. Does anybody remember Coney? Coney 2012, that child soldier trafficker? Nobody gives a fuck. It's going to keep going on. We need more books like this. His point was, this is not about um, Nazi nationalism versus the good of man, the United States coming together to win World War II. This is about empires prolonging their hand, and sometimes you need to foe a war to get through that. Harder stat that Smedley had was, after World War One, there were 40 million dead husbands, brothers, fathers, mistresses, 40 million dead people from all the countries, and there were 20,000 new millionaires and billionaires. Within a five-year period, there are never 20,000 new millionaires and billionaires. How does all this wealth come up out of nowhere? And you see, we spend $2 trillion a year on our military budget. That's half the entire United States GDP. Some of that's getting siphoned off. It's not exactly all going to the enlisted members' uniforms. When I did ROTC, I had to pay for my own uniform to get stitched up. It's like the, the biggest mass lump of wealth on the planet Earth. Where's it all going? He even mentioned back in World War One. like, I'm talking about Bush. He's like, look at these war investees, the people, the financiers of war. Check their tax returns. It's not exactly adding up every single time and I can't imagine how much worse that is getting with the digitization you could just put a number in your bank account and that's how much money you have now and of course Smedley said do any of these millionaires any of those 20,000 new billionaires through World War One they didn't shoulder a rifle dig a trench you know eat rat meat in a bunker Smedley and like Teddy Roosevelt are one of the only people who have seen both sides who have taken the orders and then didn't ditch they decided to try to help instead of just checking out and then we could extrapolate this today where did uh smedley grow up westchester pennsylvania today there are tons of suburbs in pennsylvania all around philadelphia dedicated to boeing lockheed northrop skunk works like all of these military contracting companies (laughs) <laughs> they get that piece of the $2 trillion, and there are communities built on blood money, picket fence families living on the death of fucking Arab kids. It's disgusting. <laughs> I read this book about um the history of salt, and basically every war in history was over salt, because if you didn't have that, you couldn't preserve food. You couldn't make water uninhabitable to types of fish that you didn't want. It was like the life mineral of Earth, and the way they... I mean, they just put it down the Tianjin River or whatever it was where that dam is about to burst in China. And that's how the people just threw boxes of salt down the river. And then the Xin Dynasty came in and was like, we're going to start creating salt shafts. And they created these really cool mechanisms for transporting the salt floating throughout like the Egyptian tunnelways. What are those called? Fucking canals. Well, now someone's got to pay to upkeep the canal, and now there's people living totally miles inland where they should have never lived before because there's this canal that still can potentially burst like a dam. So you have this population that is 100% dependent on the government that shouldn't have been there in the first place. This is what war gets us. It just gets more people involved in the overall web. And that's how you get more money. That's the point of uh, free market capitalism, <laughs> and if there was a truly free market, you could start a war wherever you want, like the salt wars, and get a lot of money, but it's pretty fucking unethical. Again, we're saying blood money. I'm all for a guy getting rich, but the non-aggression principle definitely takes precedent over that. 
So what happens when a country wins? Doesn't exactly happen like this anymore, but it used to be the country that wins takes the loser's land, and then those people are yours as well. It was pretty much done after the imperialist era. World War One kind of marks the end of this type of warfare, total war, where you could just go and take over people. Now, you go to war to set up shop there militarily and commercially. If you ever look, just Google United States military bases in the Middle East, and you'll see, because we're not allowed in Iran, it just surrounds the country of Iran. But then you look at, like, Japan, Germany, Ramstein Air Force Base, we're still there. We won World War II in Germany, 1940s. We're still there. You set up shop, and then you never leave. You're getting ready for your commercial implementation like you talk about people and the country of iraq i've made this mistake i've gone up to an iraq guy i met in denver and was like so your country's beaten to shit how worried is that why you're here your house probably got blown up by a J dam he's like you know that's only one city that the united states media is showing you iraq is a beautiful country what are you fucking talking about but he was like since the war started in that area there are mcdonald's everywhere so they need an iraqi Paul Revere going, McDonald's is coming, McDonald's is coming. <laughs> That's the new form of imperialism. It used to come in tea taxes, but now the <laughs> Ronald McDonald's is letting you know your kids are about to be blown up. <laughs> Think about um, recently Trump ordered everyone out of Ramstein, and we only left like a courtesy force. There's only like a few thousand boots on the ground in Germany anymore, but why do we need to be there? That is like a state of preeminent pre-war that we are in putting bases in our friends' places, they should be able to take care of themselves. What's that George Washington quote? Beware of entangling alliances. <laughs> and then uh, Smedley Butler's writing all about World War One. The main causes, MAIN, militarism, alliances, imperialism, and nationalism. We got into all of those. And uh, within 40 years of ending isolationism as a nation, we catalyzed two of the biggest world wars in the history of mankind <laughs> entangling alliances definitely beware of those why are we still in uh germany here this is like um how i'm not for trump or anything we're gonna bag on this guy later i think he should be impeached and tried for war crimes along with the rest of them he was threatening to leave Afghanistan earlier this year 2020 and that's when cnn started running their campaign about the Russians are running bounties on U.S. soldiers' heads. That's war. We do that, too. We put bounties on the Russians' head, and we pay ISIS. Remember those guys? We are literally doing the same exact thing they are. It's just the the war of the media is just as much as the flying bullets in the sand. <laughs> you think if we had... It isn't CNN supposed to be anti-war? Is my point. There's no anti-war side. The media wants the war more than anyone. That's ratings. You get to show things blowing up on TV. Think about uh, if Hillary Clinton, she was proposing that no-fly zone over the Ukraine. That's like if uh, we started a no-fly zone over the Atlantic Ocean and Canada was like, we kind of got to pass by there from time to time. Now we have to go to war. Very could have well been in World War III had they started that no-fly zone. So the bigger picture, who's making the deals behind the scenes. While your grandpa was landing on the beaches of Normandy, <laughs> getting his arms blown off, IBM, we know this company, they made backdoor deals with the Nazis. IBM made the punch cards for the concentration camp so that all your inmates made sure they punched in on time for no pay. Bayer, you guys have heard of Hugo Boss, <laughs> that fucking clothing company that still exists to this day. They clothed the Nazis. You think they would get canceled for that? But no, you call the uh, guy who's trying to pull forces out of Germany a Nazi himself. And then Bayer and Monsanto also were turned into American corporations while your dad was dying on Normandy. You know, go patrol the Rhine as we now get DDT and opiates into America. Isn't that crazy? You guys didn't know that. Bon Bayer and Monsanto are Nazi corporations start looking into things so we do not benefit okay the young the little man is not getting a piece of these companies being able to move from one country to another a cool one instead of talking about uh nazi companies iran like i'm saying is under siege from the united states right now their capital tehran is the plastic surgery capital of the world 
which you think makes no sense. Everybody there is walking around in hijabs. You're not even allowed to show anyone your lips, so why are you going to get a lip injection? It's because, this is wild, the kids of Iran, they are so suppressed in this Muslim radical religion that they are, you know, it's just like America. You swing back to the other side and there are more transgender kids in Iran than basically anywhere. So this is why the plastic surgery capital resides in Tehran. It's because they're all paying to get their sex changes. Because you're not allowed to be a transsexual in Iran. You gotta fucking wear a dress in the desert and get sand in your ass crack. Are you, do you have an international medical license where you can perform plastic surgery in the Middle East? I don't think so. These wars benefit a very small amount of people. And uh, of course, you know, <laughs> think about our Secretary of State. His name, I'm doing the hand pyramid of doom while I say his name, Rex Tillerson. The Exxon chairman of the oil company is also saying where we are going to war and taking the oil from. Probably a conflict of interest that some of us should look into. But we got to remember what war is about. It's not one of these board games for the elites to play and use us as the pawns and to make more money. War is mangled bodies. It's new graves for young men, shattered minds, broken homes, depression, taxation. Motherfucking taxation. It affects everybody, just not the kids there. Smedley had always suspected, not too deep of a point, but as a soldier, that he was a pawn. I watched uh, Jarhead recently as well, and this is about... <laughs> when the United States blitzkrieged Kuwait, we would lightning strike the oil fields with the Air Force and the highways so the Marines then would go and take the scorched earth and claim it as ours and walk by these interstates with charred civilian bodies. And of course, like that scene in the movie Jarhead, they know they're pawns. They're about to go into the oil field and they make all the Marines take a pill. And the disclaimer on the pill is like, you could lose your hearing in a couple of years, but this is supposed to keep you from the radiation from the Air Force bombs. And they're all like, hold the fuck up. I don't have a say in any of this. I'm about to get radiated to death. Why are we radiating people in Kuwait? It's all a big question. You just got to take orders. And Smedley has been on both sides. He obviously saw that was the case when he was sitting in the trenches of World War I, saw 1917 recently. That portrays great. The little kid they send on a mission as a pawn to run in between dead man land. Pawn station. This guy is living on the chessboard. After World War I, he was a civilian, and he saw this pawn idea is true. And then Gimlet Eye became a general, and he saw... It is worse than you could ever imagine. You are treated like a pawn, definitely dispensable. You remember Alien movie? Return life form to Earth. All crew is expendable with liberation. Like, you can kill as many men as you want as long as you complete the mission. <laughs> he was trying to warn us about this again. Again, it came out in 1935, and Smedley is going 60 million men are being trained right now, and a draft is about to get started for what seems a little bit like another war is coming so if you read these books from the ex-generals you'll have a better idea of when to invest in the betchel group yourself and benefit off of the racket of war and his bigger point about this 60 million men in 1930 ready to fight was that our congress states that we are not supposed to have a standing army the founding fathers knew this shit this is when they were like no entangling alliances why are you going to have a giant military that people are going to want to attack so we start stockpiling arms and it forces everybody else to. We're going to get into the deter deterrence argument later about how everyone's like, well, America has nukes, so now no one would ever attack us. Listen up, motherfucker. I've been looking up all of the world powers nuclear class submarines. The England has like the dreadnought submarine, which has 12 mini nukes, 15 intercontinental ballistic missiles. Every single country has enough deterrence to blow their attackers off of the face of the earth. So the fact that America has the largest standing military and we still get 9-11, what are we deterring? It's not a good argument. It's logically unsound. The U.S. military now is over 10 million people strong. That is the largest auxiliary force of any empire per capita in the history of the world. If you think we're not going to use that in a world conflict, you're fucking delusional. It's coming, people. 
Oy vey, man. It's like when you give the LAPD $2 billion a year and then get surprised when they try some of their new riot gear out on you. <laughs> they want to use these things. We learned about Program 22. All old military technology now goes to the police under rule of Barack Obama. <laughs> so they're going to be using microwave radiation tech on us real soon. Fun times. And this standing military, man, it's even more dangerous today now that the world is on a hairpin, you could start World War Three with a tweet. You know, little rocket man. Uh, it, we, I don't, nothing wakes you up in the morning like a good nuclear holocaust scare. <laughs> Wrapping up the war is a racket chapter, he was saying how another big Smedley calling his shots ahead of his time. In 1900, the Japan-Russia dynamic in the U.S., was we supported Japan in the papers, but financially, behind the scenes, we were given all types of financial aid to Russia. So he was saying, as soon as a world war starts, these two are going to flip. We started funding Suzuki and Toyota during the fucking war. It's just like the IBM thing with the Nazis and Monsanto. And then we supported Russia in the papers. They became our... Alliance. Meanwhile, we were actually doing business with Japan. Most of really what happens with war is behind the scene. And that's the racket. More people are making money than you think. The munition makers, bankers, shipbuilders, meat packers, everybody is... Just look at the Boeing stocks before and after the invasions of Iraq. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> Telltale. There's lots of money to be made in war. Step one, Smedley said, is don't enlist. Step two would be to write your buddy who is on the front lines. Ask him what types of ammunition they're using. And maybe you could get some insider trading information. <laughs> if you're going to play in a corrupt game, the only way to win is to be corrupt yourself as well. In 1898, we had a billion dollar debt from the Civil War. 1898, still a billion dollars due. That's not for inflation or anything. And a growing government sought geopolitical health. Smedley was referencing, we can't be looking for all of these other countries to bail us out, which is exactly what we've been doing with the Middle Eastern wars. We have a $25 trillion debt and we're asking China to bail us out. And now they're going to fight us as well. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's just like a might makes right, which is... The thesis of Satanism, but that's what we do in America, baby. I said, within 40 years of us trying to get involved in all the world conflicts, two of the biggest world wars had began. So, it's probably best to try to not get involved. It's going to take us to chapter two. Who makes the profit? In World War One? we just talked about a billion dollar debt 50 years after the Civil War, which was a pretty necessary war, some would say. World War One. Could have sat that one out. We owed $51 billion for that war. And uh, just like I said, $25 trillion is the current debt counter. Smedley said that cost with inflation will be subject to your kids and to your kids' kids. I think I remember seeing in 2016 I came across an article that was like, Congratulations, Americans. We just paid off the World War One debt. Hooray? Am I supposed to be happy about this? Doesn't that mean now we have to pay off the World War II debt, the Korean debt, Vietnam, Iraq 1, Afghanistan, Iraq 2, and all nine of the Obama wars? And now we have fucking F-22 fighter jets with laser technology on top, these Navy ship carriers that literally have AA missiles with lasers like I'm not going to be paying for these fucking laser technologies our kids and our kids kids are going to be in debt for this bullshit toys that we need I bet when you try to emigrate from America leave the country they just slide a check across the table thank you for your stay in America this is your war bill sir I'm not paying that shit if you look at normal profits within business up to a Wall Street bet, you can get 6 to a 12% return. Smedley is saying the returns he saw some of his general buddies getting were as high as 20%, and it goes up to 800%. Not even fucking Dogecoin or any of these current cryptocurrencies are getting an 800% return. The only way you could ever make that money is by fucking someone over, is by going to war and murking your tax base, your payer base. 
Have you ever looked at another one that you could go use some deductive logic of your own on the millions of United Airlines sales sold before 9-11? And I don't need to get into all the shit about <laughs> George Bush meeting with the Bin Ladens on September 10th of 2001. There's a reason I didn't release this one two weeks ago. You should really look into that for yourself. It will definitely make the racket more apparent to you. Or even just look at the uh, Goldman Sachs shares dumped before 2008's crash. Or the fact that Barack Obama got paid $200,000 for a 30-minute speech the day that he stepped out of office by them. <laughs> it's the bankers that get paid when we go to war. When you bail them out, just like we did again in 2020. Wouldn't be surprised if there's another war on the horizon. Smedley showed this is one of the most important points in this short book. That during World War One, the DuPont American dynasty grew 950%. <laughs> this shit is nuts, man. DuPont. I went to University of Delaware, and uh, some things I know about the state from having graduated there. It is the number one cancer capital in America. And maybe that has to do with all the motherfucking DuPont plants, power plants that are along the Delaware River. And it just looks like neck beard vaping 24 7 like puffs of fucking smog going into the atmosphere the delaware river i would never swim in it's straight up sludge top cancer capital pollute your people that's how you grow 950 percent within five years it doesn't even make sense okay it's the same thing with united states steel after uh world war ii in five years, they made $105 billion. That's like an 800% return again. It's impressive even without inflation. I don't think anybody can make $105 billion in five years today. And that's the thing. You know, World War II was won with American steel, British intelligence, and Russian lives. We know America, the racket, more than anyone. We know how to make money. We're the bullies off of this war game. So the British intelligence and the Russian lives are what costs money. But us making steel for everybody, we are arms dealers of Earth. That is America's job. Remember the fucking, uh, I think this was uh, 2016 now, Trump made the arms deal with Saudi Arabia. It was a $300 million arms deal, and him and the president of Saudi were putting their uh, hands on this glowing Earth orb. It was the creepiest, like, comic book villain shit that you would ever see. Nobody says a word. We just lost $300 million as taxpayers for what? For those M4s to trickle down to the fucking Mujahideen. Why are we paying for this, people? All these presidential speeches of nationalism and the rhetoric will have you convinced that war is the answer and that you are benefiting somehow. You know, I almost enlisted. I talked about this. Uh, my blind patriotism makes me uncomfortable to this day. You realize, you know, I was saying I want to join the military for valor. People have a common goal. They want to fucking work together. But it's just as much nepotism as the private sector. If your dad is a general, you're not going to be an enlisted monkey. Think about it. We were talking simulation hypothesis last week. I would have given up this role-playing game of the American West to do it your own way for a Tetris job, being a loadmaster at Dover, Delaware. And do we know what gets transported through the Dover, Delaware Air Force Base? All of the bodies from the Middle East come through. So I would have been playing Tetris with young men's caskets, putting them into C-130s to ship home pretty fucking disturbing but if you want to be disturbed a little bit more go look up the story of what we smuggle back in the united states flag draped coffins it's opium that's what the golden triangle is <laughs> really creepy stories man we will use the guise of a fallen soldier to smuggle drugs back from another region of the world that's part of the racket it gets really disrespectful as well this was a really cool one. We're not talking about DuPont anymore. This is still who makes the profit. In World War I, Germany sold the United States 35 million boots. Leather boots. We only had 4 million soldiers at the time. So if you do some math, that is 8 boots per man. Why? There's got to be some sort of money laundering going on. But even if there's not, how come two separate armies are being clothed by the same company? Don't you think that's a conflict of interest? 
Smedley and the Rough Riders back before this globalization, they only got one pair of boots. Like I said before, in ROTC, I had to go tailor my own shit. And nowadays, if you look who makes the uniforms, <laughs> it says it on the tags of every United States Armed Forces uniform. Prisoners and non-for-profit blind groups make the uniforms. So it's just like the private prisons within the U.S., how they make a slave profit in 800%. They don't have to pay for housing or food or anything. If it's not like a consumer good, there's no way anybody could ever boycott the fact that your uniform is being made by someone against their will. <laughs> you have to wear it against your will as well. And we made a lot of money in that time period as well with World War I. We sold 20 million mosquito nets to France. And at the same time, you might not have known this, but we tested DDT on Floridians, which is that uh, crop for killing. It's like a chemical for killing bugs on crops. But another one a little worse than that was we tested Agent Orange on Canadians before going to Vietnam. So if uh, your government wants to test some of those new $2 trillion war toys on you, they will, and they won't tell you. At that same time, World War One, we also sold a billion in plane engines to France. So that's how these new generations get started, the Boeings and all that. Nine new wars for one new war company. <laughs> Not worth it. It's that old quote as we wind down chapter two. If you can sell fear to an unstable region, you can sell them an armory. And that's what we're doing with these young rebel groups in the Middle East. And it's why we joined World War One with the mosquito nets and the plane engines. Right now, if you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Like I just said with that $300 million Saudi deal, where where do you think those weapons are going to wind up? It's not like the women in the Middle East are wielding weapons. There's only a few radical people who really want to use those, and we just put it in their hands. I highly suggest Naomi, Naomi Klein's The Shock Doctrine. I read this one in college. Won't do it again for the show because it was one of the longest reads but it takes down the entire 9-11 funk that was going on, the Betchel, Halliburton arms deals, and the fact that as soon as we started giving all them this war money, the Houthi, Mujahideen, Al-Qaeda, that little group we mentioned called ISIS, were all armed by those foreign aid plans. We make our enemies. We go to war and make more money. We make more enemies. It's a perpetual state of fear. It's like the... 2001 we started the war on terror <laughs> that'll never end do you understand it's the price of imperialism is terror if you're the biggest guy on the block you're always going to have haters so if you're putting your military in a foreign land to occupy and make sure they're not breaking your laws they're going to fucking hate you that's the price to pay a couple crazy ones about what we actually do spend this money on in world war one we bought 500 million dollars in big wrenches that only fit one nut and then were never used again so who owns did they smelt it back down for steel and just keep the money they're not going to leave 500 million dollars in assets untouched in 2014 i remember this one i was in air force rotc and they announced it like it was an accomplishment barack obama ran out of bombs that year he dropped he ordered enough drone and airstrikes where we had to stop for a little bit because we ran out of explosives and then he got a nobel peace prize tell me how that makes sense again with that naomi climb one too where money goes missing on the day of 9 11 the one plane plane or cruise missile that hit the pentagon it hit the accounting section so very fortunately and one trillion dollars in war debt disappeared from that pentagon accounting section on 9-11 is that not suspect to fucking anybody what do we know about debt here in america war debt apparently blood money can just vanish before all of our eyes but student loan debt students must pay for their sins you are not allowed to forfeit on student loan debts <laughs> you want to be enlightened? You better pay for that, motherfucker. Ignorance is strength, citizen. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. <laughs> so between those 21,000 new millionaires that get made every world war, it's estimated that $16 billion in wealth was generated. And did I see any of that reparation? You know, <laughs> where is my fucking reparation check? I didn't want to go to war. The fucking... 
bureaucrats made us do that shit and then drafted me and I'm not getting paid for it. It's pretty disrespectful how we treat our veterans and that's going to be in a later chapter here. I don't know, man. Who benefits? Obviously not the people. I bet in our lifetime the CIA will change their name to the Ministry of Peace. <laughs> or well. Chapter 3. Who pays the bills? You got a mirror near you? That answers this chapter's question. This is like how uh, Google Alphabet, the company that owns Google, they get tax subsidies and then are caught offshoring the profit that's just laundering money. It's a racket. They socialize cost and privatize the benefits. So socialize taxpayer base and then you keep whatever money is coming in. Think about it, man. Like that 900% profit before, how is it possible in any business deal, any business deal to get an 1,800% increase? It rationally cannot exist. Your business opponent would have to be mentally retarded Look at half the taxpayer base. <laughs> IQ below 70, literally below the bell curve, more than half. What are we paying for, people? I know that's a question that's going to go above most of the taxpayers' heads, but what are we getting? Tickets on the highway, an average 15-minute police response time, and a handful of wars halfway around the world? Is that what I'm paying for? I used to sit at my desk job for in a bank six months after I graduated college and I would do the math about how much money I was giving per hour to the United States military. And it works out to like half an hour a day. You just straight up work for the military because half of the tax paying GDP goes to that fund. It's fucking wild, man. You don't even think that you're a soldier when you're answering uh, secretary calls. Don't worry, you're supporting the troops. <laughs> Think about uh, the 1970s, the garbage strike in New York City. The garbage men weren't being paid enough, kind of like the soldiers. Imagine there was a soldier strike. But in New York City, within three weeks, garbage piled up to like a story tall. The rats were in everybody's apartments. They just started paying them more. Who do you think is more necessary if we pulled out of all of the Middle East indefinitely the only thing that would happen in America is there's a lot more motivated people here rather than in the Middle East, you know? It's not like the garbage men, <laughs> what we actually fucking need, you know? I honestly think I respect garbage men more than some ex-bully who's seeking a job where you could kill people in the desert. And then we talk about the income tax a little bit. Who's paying the bills? The income tax was what got us through World War One? We wouldn't have been able to join the war if we didn't take 30% from every single American's paycheck. And then what happened after World War One? We never got rid of the income tax, people. It's This is the long con of government. You take little bits of freedom, and then you never, ever give it back. Remember, the lockdown was supposed to be two weeks, guys. Two weeks. Sweden. Didn't wear a mask at all. They got herd immunity within a month and the coronavirus is over. We are China now. The government, they take and take and take. Me wants income tax. Me wants Patriot Act to finger butts at TSA. Me wants Trace Act to access your browser history without a warrant. Government is short for Gollum. You guys ever think about war bonds? Just give this a thought for a minute. We talked about the 1800% profit and the fact that your business opponent would have to be mentally retarded, if you buy a war bond, you are in that 70% of the population. <laughs> it is an overt racket, Smedley said. Think about it. If the Fed initiates a dollar value after a war for, let's say, an $84 war bond is then worth $86, then you just have made a 2% or a between 1% and a 2% jump. Not like the 800% they're making, but you just made a little bit of money off that war bond in five years, 2%. That's worse than a fucking savings account. But say, hey, you, you got the war bond. Now, this is assumed that every single other person who bought a war bond just received a 2% jump. So the value of the dollar that the Fed initially set it at has inflated anyway. You have gotten nothing. All you did was use the United States military as a usury for your money. <laughs> a little basic economics lesson but why would the government give you the money back that you gave them in your taxes 
it would never happen. That is a losing business model. It's like when the Krusty Krab had the free money day. It was the biggest crowd they ever drew. <laughs> but crabs went out of business. Can't fucking give shit away to people. It's If it sounds too good to be true, especially in America, it definitely is. Smedley was saying, of course, guys in veteran hospitals have more trouble than anyone cashing their war bonds. So you would think these guys have priority in getting a little bit of money back that they invested in the forces that were controlling them. No, it's you, you traded monopoly money with the government and now you're stuck with it. <laughs> and imagine this, you ask the guy who you bought the war bond from. Um, so if we lose the war, do I still get that 2% increase? What if we completely lose the war and are taken over by the enemy force? Then do I lose my investment entirely? You can't even sell it back? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's like you're making a sports bet where there is no win. You're betting on wars. That's the whole gist and scam behind a war bond. It's like, all right, I bet you $1,000 that the world isn't going to end this week. And if the world ends, I don't have to pay you any money. But when it doesn't, you're going to owe me a thousand bucks. You're taking that deal when you buy a war bond. It's pretty criminal, man. Like, we fund, like I said, all this IBM shit. Even Elon Musk shooting fucking cars into space with SpaceX or the Boring Company for this guy to tunnel under the earth and create earthquakes. We're paying for him to do that. But then when I was in ROTC, I had to do prisoner of war missing in action the palmia runs and literally raise money without stopping running for six hours at a time meanwhile they're just shooting money into space (laughs) it's a fucking racket just the way we treat our veterans man very disrespectful i remember in that prisoner of war thing you had one guy that would have to run for the entire length of the event and there would be one cadet who had to stand in a bamboo cage like a vietnamese prisoner of war cage (laughs) we're doing this to raise money we're making a freak show out of ourselves while congress launders all of it the biggest sum of money on earth it's bullshit guys And then you pass a fucking veteran on the street who can't even put a sentence together. Sir, I love you. I'll drop you a couple dollars. Let me hear a war story so I know you're not a fake. What division were you in? Long division. I'm about to buy this hat online. It has all the uh, military accolade medals and underneath it in small print, it says meme war veteran. (laughs) I'm about to steal so much valor with that. Wrapping up chapter 3, Italy is known for this, and the Confederate did it as well. They pay their soldiers based on performance. It's not some government-issue GI contract where you get paid what you paid and you shut your mouth up. You get paid on how well you do. The Confederates paid $1,200 for a captured Union ship. So it was just a bunch of rowdy southern guys throwing in chaws, drinking rum, and sailing around trying to steal other people's ships. If you incentivize the war right, people will join for their own incentive, not for blind nationalism. And Italy has been known doing this throughout history. This is how they've been known to not have wars, indefinite wars, like the tribes, the Germanic tribes. Italy always had monarchies and kings like the Montagues and the Vestibules, whatever the fucking Romeo and Juliet people were. You hired mercenaries, and that's how you make it so you don't have this standing army and perpetual worlds of war, which we're going to have. And then the Union, compared to the Confederacy who took the Italian approach, the Union adopted the Napoleonic method, which is all men are to be enamored by decorations. So you are trading money for ribbons you're addicted to now. And there's no fucking savvy pro bono mentality where you're looking to still make a profit in this war zone. Who would give up pay for a socialized meritocracy? I'm hearing about now, man, about my guys who stayed in the ROTC. They are in charge of flights of 40 men, and they have to give, like, public Black Lives Matter speeches and talk to their transgender wingmen. It's like, it's not the military anymore, too. You're doing fucking HR for people who are stealing all the money. It's, um, it's very questionable stuff here, man. 
It's uh, He ended this one about how, isn't it suspect that all the generals have to employ God? God is on your side. God wants you to destroy them in battle. Because Smedley never did this as a uh, general. He was saying, go within yourself, men. Find the deepest root of your anger and take it out on the others in battle today. You don't have to fucking corrupt people's religion to get them to be a true warrior. And this is the crazy part of who pays the price of war to end it. The World War I soldiers had to pay accident insurance out of their stipend, out of their pay. What they actually did get, they had to pay for their own insurance. I don't know about you guys, but I would say that war is pretty accident prone. You know, the counter argument would be, you signed a contract, you're a GI property, you have to do what they say. Let's think about it as a business owner. If I ran a smoothie shop, I would invest in the insurance plan for my blender. Because if that fucking is shot, my entire store is messed up. If I'm buying napkins and fucking plastic spoons, those are disposable assets. So I'm not going to insure them. Do you understand how Uncle Sam sees you? You're a fucking disposable asset. They are not going to insure you. They will throw you away when your use is over. When you come home poor and missing an eye or a leg, remember to be patient at the VFW hospital. Chapter 4, How to Smash the Racket. At this point, we know very few profit and many, many, many men pay the price of war. That is the definition of a racket. It is a Ponzi scheme. Ask yourself why else there would be war. As a nation, what we should rather do to smash the racket would be invest all of this motivation and talent the young men into capital and industry i always said the reason i joined the rotc i was surrounded with the most driven and disciplined group of people on the college campus you are saying in my most fun four years of life when i get to get drunk at the time hook up with cute young women I am willing to wake up at 5 a.m. and learn some extra knowledge. These are high-caliber-driven minds who would do great things within the free market. I know a cadet that I graduated with who is working one of the big four on Wall Street right now. He's got a cute girlfriend. He's, like, doing the true American dream. On a societal level, Smedley said that these factory-type jobs should be subsidized with tax money to make a military-grade wage for civilians. The way you see the racket has really gotten away from everybody is that those 10 million people that are in the United States Armed Forces, over 80% of them are enlisted. Nobody's an officer. And around 60% of these people live below the poverty line. Okay? And now you see the U.S. economy's in the shitter. 45 million people are out of work. It pushes more of these young men towards the military. But still, you're option of last resort is still paying you an unlivable wage this is the entire like corporatization of america we're all getting fucked over the racket has ran away from all of us because we didn't pay attention to smedley's book in 1930 a thought i've been having recently looking out my own education even up through higher education of college they weren't trying to optimize your potential and really give you a new base of knowledge They're teaching you to be obedient and obey and follow orders. I think if you gave every student a boot camp instead of a fucking like project graduation where you get drunk down the shore, if you send every motherfucking 18 year old, this includes the kid who during the fire drills, it's too loud. He would put his fingers in his ears. I want to see this faggot low crawl through a mortar field and machine gun fire over his head you know if we seriously gave people the tools of the military without taking years of their lives away we would have like a spartan society we would be warriors we would have a self-reliant attitude where you could succeed in the free market as well you wouldn't have to rely on this bureaucracy i truly believe that i don't i think more people should have that framework of how to improve yourself in your mind. There is really great things to learn from the military and a lot of things you could lose, which includes body parts. Smedley's second way to smash the racket was with term limits, which should be self-explanatory. You don't want 70-year-old Dick Cheney 
to start a war just before he has one of his heart attacks to pass on to his kids. And uh, term limits stop that revolving door. We were talking about Goldman Sachs earlier. The CEOs of Goldman Sachs used to be part of the United States Treasury Department. So many fucking conflicts of interest that people overlook. And these legacies, these needs to be some sort of term limit on your children, I think, even as well. Because the name recognition is enough to have your kid win with doing no work. And then, now, in 2020, you don't even need to be an American to vote in the United States of America election. You know, you, they're saying they're going to do busing, get people in from Mexico to fucking vote. How is this a political issue okay i believe this is a fucking common sense thing i don't think either side has morals anymore you're rigging democracy that's not fucking fair if you're not paying to be here if you don't have a social security numbers why are you allowed to vote you know the republicans now ask for small government and fund the world's biggest war machine the democrats just drop to the fucking anti-war thing like a hot potato tulsi gabbard again a veteran had a higher approval rating than joe biden was anti-war so she cannot be on the leader of the free world or the leader of the warring world truly i just watched gangs of new york also and that's all about the irish immigrants stuffing the ballot boxes and how hey it doesn't matter how many ballots are in the boxes you need to go watch the debold voting machine documentary they are very hackable and that's scary i don't want to undermine your beliefs in democracy right now but they do need some prospectors to go a-mining down there. The big quote from Gangs of New York was, it doesn't matter how many ballots there are in the box, it matters what the counters decide to count. And thirdly, the way we're going to destroy the racket is to castrate the military to a necessary size for defense purposes only. This is what I'm saying. Trump is trying to pull out of some of our stationary forces, but this guy himself almost started World War III from a Twitter beef which the Constitution explicitly states the executive branch cannot declare a war. It has to be approved by Congress. In this 21st century no-do-process America, a tweet, I'm telling you, it's going to start the next fucking world war. And we're talking about castrating the military. I already kind of gone over the deterrence argument. The nuclear-class submarines, the fact that we had the biggest military in 2001 and still got attacked shows that deterrence is a farce, okay? You Like, if you're a, the biggest guy at the bar, you do the most dumbbell curls, there's still going to be someone at the bar who's packing heat. <laughs> it's not... You're never going to have a monopoly on arms. So, number one, take the profit out of war. Number two, let the youth decide, you know, whether or not they want to fight in a war and subject their kids to debt. And number three is that the military is for defense. And this is going to bring us to our last chapter, to hell with war. Smedley, our three-star general, is going, I know I'm a fool to think that war can be a thing of the past, but the trajectory we're on is going to lead us to unimaginable human atrocities in your kid's life. I think the love generation of the 1960s was the closest to almost have the wave crest and really get us to pull out of Vietnam. They could have reformed our fucking ancient bureaucracy. We really could have been in a better place had those people stuck to it. But the boomers, they took the bait. They took the mortgages and the fucking cushy suburban houses. They inflated the real estate bubble. And uh, continue the racket. Literally, if you're not standing up to the racket, you are feeding into it. So now we're relying on kids doing TikTok dances as we siege Libya and Syria and our 10th countries to come, Somalia. Even Trump himself ran on bringing home the troops. Remember that? He might be the last president to even try to run on that. And he went with his first two years in office a 14,000 troop deployment. Remember he dropped a Moab as well, the mother of all bombs? Military spending has increased in the past four years. There is no such thing as anti-war anymore. Except for in this podcast, I guess. You gotta be aware of things like the Espionage Act, which was passed in World War One, and had Smedley writing this book. And that was like if you write a pamphlet about why we shouldn't be in war and hand it out in a mall... 
you go to jail. You're considered a traitor if you fucking spend some time making an arts and craft project about America. If they don't like the information, they'll put you in a cell for the rest of your life. And that's called the Alien Sedition Act. What is that one again? I don't know, but Obama, he redacted habeas corpus when he was under fire for all the Guantanamo Bay shit behind the scenes. He was like, you know what? If you're a terrorist, you if we think you're a terrorist, even if you're on American soil, we can detain you indefinitely with no purpose. <laughs> Literally due process out the window. And then a new one this year. People are being arrested for pre-crime. You know, with this Trace Act, now the government can look through your browser history without a warrant and so they are looking at this is like black mirror world guys if you are looking up guns and then you google like hours of the nearest elementary school they'll be like you were just planning on shooting up a school i'm sorry sir but you're being taken to guantanamo you're like no i just had it was just show and tell day at school and my kid and i run a shooting range for my kid you know that's not a viable excuse you're already being waterboarded (laughs) in the fucking caribbean so Smedley, he was part of World War One because <laughs> he was a kid at the time. You can't blame him. And it was called the War to End All Wars. But this kicked off the biggest century of democide, homicide, everything bad that you can imagine. It's like addiction. Like war begets war. It only feeds into itself. And we were like, okay, the war to end all wars. We'll just do one. But these alliance entangled more people. The fucking Versailles treaties embarrassed Germany to no end to the point where they needed to try to take over the world again to save their masculinity. It's not a good thing to even begin with. America did its biggest growing in those years of isolationism. This war is not what's going to... Make the world a better place. I don't care, man, if you want to kill people. I don't care if there is a crazy Arab guy strapping bombs to little girls and fucking goats. For real. If you want to try to be a superhero in your tiny 80-year incarnation here on Earth, then put on a bat costume and go fight clowns in Gotham. It's more of a vigilante. But honestly, if you want to be a fucking superhero... Go contract with Blackwater, with Skunk Works, or any of these agencies, but please, please stop killing people under the guise of the American flag. When I go fucking abroad now, people think I'm a mass murderer because of our foreign policies. It's very short-sighted what we are doing regarding the violence on the planet. But to me, this country doesn't stand for all of that. It stands for freedom, individuality. That first document, the Declaration of Independence, we believe in the pursuit of happiness. It has nothing to do with waging war on kids, but now that's what half of our productivity and our GDP goes to. Got to start looking at these things a little bit more objectively, people. There's that scene in Apocalypse Now where they blow up all the civilians the Vietnamese and they just drop a playing card on each person and he drops it on the people who got blown up first oh that's a two of clubs that's a two of hearts and it's a little bit of an undertone message that yes everybody on this earth gets dealt a different hand of cards from birth (laughs) but we shouldn't be the rigged dealer in the casino who is just dealing the worst hand to these kids in the Middle East blowing up their families In the Obama drone strike era, this goes in with the playing cards, the miss to hit ratio was 1 to 9. So we don't even know if the targets really needed to die too. That's up to our overlords to say. For every one target that we had, we killed 9 civilians, okay? We are fucking over the world for other sentient people. So take it from me or from a fucking three-star United States general, war is a racket, man. If we really wanted to redirect our focus down the road, there is untellable amounts of wealth and prosperity that can be found when we redirect our energy. And I hope to God that we do in our lifetime. And I'll be speaking about it for years to come. And this was a very fun episode. I'm happy that you guys listened to a little bit of an older read But it is more pertinent than ever, and it truly is something that you should be concerned about. (laughs) Because warfare is not local. It could very well be on your front doorstep. That's all. Thank you again, old Gimlet Eye, for War is a Racket. 
that is going to wrap up September for us, and we are back on our newly scheduled programming. Next week is going to be the start of October. And if you remember last year, we did something a little spooky, Mind Hunter. Well, this year, we got Dan Flores's Coyote America. Definitely a less creepy read, but a coyote will easily tear your throat out if you come across a pack of these little buggers. Coyotes are the furthest reaching invasive species in North America. They are in every single biome. They started in the southwest and made it up into the Arctic. There are coyotes they have found on the island of Manhattan. They have made it everywhere. You think you see a nice little puppy outside in the middle of the night? Do not go pet that thing. He will give you rabies and bite your arm off. They are one of the most versatile organisms to have ever lived. They are similar to animals. They're a pack species. We have a lot to learn. Being in Colorado, we are voting this year on the presidential ballot whether or not to release wild wolves back out into nature. So this is a moving thing. This is a very interesting topic for October written by a famous author, Dan Flores. It's going to kick off the month for us. I want to thank you guys again for staying for the show. I'm your host, comic Nick Munez. I'll see you all next time. Peace.